in my office, I have a couple of walls that have images hanging on them of some of my favorite people, both living and, and dead, some people that I know, some people that I've, I've never met, I've only read about them, pictures and icons and drawings of Dorothy Day, St. Francis, C.S. Lewis, one of my mentors, a priest named Corky Carlisle, Thomas Merton, my wife Catherine, uh, many, many people adorn uh, this little section of my office. When I am in my office and I'm writing a sermon or I'm saying some prayers, I often will spend some time looking at those images or uh, praying with those images or just trying to glean some sort of wisdom from all of these people who have inspired me or encouraged me or taught me something. And there are lots of other people who have inspired me who aren't on my walls but who often come to mind a lot when I'm preparing to write or when I'm thinking or when I'm praying. And I've been thinking a lot about one of my favorite people who isn't on my wall in my office. I've been thinking about him a lot these uh, past few weeks, these past couple of months. His name was, was Ron. Ron was a man that I met when I was still in seminary at Sewanee. He didn't live in Sewanee, but he is well known by many in the seminary there because of the work that he did and because of his very gregarious personality. Ron was kind, he was generous, he was dramatic, he was a bit melodramatic at times, he was faithful, he was loving, he was someone who had an infectious laugh. He genuinely cared about people, and that was evident when he started to tell his, his story of faith. He wasn't perfect, though. He was far from being perfect. He was extremely overweight. He had a whole lot of heart problems, and Ron loved, he loved to smoke. Ron was a monk, and yes, there are monks in the Episcopal Church. They do exist. He was a member of the Brotherhood of St. Gregory, a group of men who don't live together in the same community, but who still are bound to each other by a set of rules for living, rules for prayer, rules for working in the world. Ron was from Western North Carolina. He was a storyteller and an actor before he became a monk, and he was poor virtually all of his life. He says that when he was in Cambridge, Massachusetts on retreat with the brothers of the Society of St. John the Evangelist, that he had a, a religious experience, a mystical experience. He says that he was sitting on a bench praying, trying to discern what was next, what was next for his life, what God wanted him to do. When he looked over as he was sitting there praying, and he looked over and saw a homeless man picking garbage out of a trash can and eating it, something that probably many of us sadly have seen in, in this city and lots of other cities. He says that it was when he saw this man eating this trash that he knew that he was in the presence of Jesus. And more than that, he says, that as he watched the man, he, he heard the voice, the voice of God, he says, telling him that he should commit his life to caring for this man and for other homeless men and women like him. And so that's what he did right then and there on that day. He committed his life to doing that sort of work. When Ron returned home to Chattanooga, Tennessee, he went to the local community kitchen and asked if he could do something for the homeless men and women that, that others had not done before in that particular place. He wanted to wash their feet. They were skeptical at first, but they agreed, and that's what Ron started to do. He started to wash the feet of men and women who would come in off the street after spending days and weeks in the same pair of unwashed socks and shoes. He would bring them in. He would sit them down. He would take off their shoes at times. He would have to cut the shoes off of them because they had been worn for so long. He would wash and dry their feet 
and then he would start to kiss their feet and give them new socks and new shoes before he sent them on their way. Not a lot of people understood why Ron would want to do this kind of work. It wasn't glamorous work. It absolutely wasn't an alluring sort of work in in any way. It was at times dangerous as some of those people that Ron would would wash would threaten his life from time to time. His, His work really wasn't even necessary to the overall success of that community kitchen. But it was important, and it was, it was valued by so many, and that's because he, he did it out of this great sense of love. He did it out of a desire to serve those in need. He did it because he wanted to be close to Jesus, and each and every person that would come to him to have their feet washed was Jesus or Ron. So I think, I think a lot about Ron. Ron was one of my favorite people when I worked at St. Paul's in Chattanooga. In fact, I'd, I'd go so far as to say that he was a favorite person for just about everyone who knew him in Chattanooga. He was great, really great at reminding us that God loves us just as we are. And he would often tell you that as he grabbed you and embraced you in this inescapable hug. So when I started to read this passage from John's gospel account that we heard a few minutes ago, my mind as I was sitting in my office, my mind immediately went to Ron. Jesus, we are told, has made his way to Bethany for a dinner party at the home of Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary. It's six days before the Passover. Jesus is headed to Jerusalem, but he stops in to see some of his his closest friends, friends that he who he dearly loves, the writer tells us. And the thing to know as we listen to this reading today is that just before this reading in John chapter 11, we hear the story of how Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. That's what happens right before this story in John 11. And I'll briefly jog your memory of that story in case it doesn't immediately come to mind. Jesus is out teaching and preaching. He gets word from Martha and Mary that their brother Lazarus, that he is very ill and that Jesus needs to come quick to see him but Jesus decides to to stay out for a couple of more days teaching and preaching. When he finally does start to make his way to Bethany, we're told that Lazarus has died, and and as he gets to sort of the the outskirts of town, before he can even make it to their house, we're told that that Martha runs out into the street, and you could sort of see her pointing her finger at him, and she confronts him. Hey, Jesus, she says, where have you been? I told you that Lazarus was sick. I told you that he was about to die. Where have you been? I told you that he needed you. You can sense, you can feel the, the hurt in her voice. Lord, if you would have just been here with us, my brother would not have died. That's what she says. That's a, this is a, another sermon for another day, but, ju- but just for a second, I'll, I'll wonder aloud with you about how many times we have said that very same thing to Jesus. Lord, if, if you had just been here, fill in the blank. Lord, if you had just been here, my brother would not have died. My mother would still be with us. My daughter would not have been in that accident. Lord, if you had just been here, how, how many times have each one of us said that? We've, we've all said it because we've all had similar experiences. We know the, the hurt, the pain that Martha is feeling as she goes out to, to meet Jesus. Her hurt is is one that we all know, and so she runs out into the street to share her frustration with her Lord. And, and as he hears her, he, he listens and he asks her to take him to the tomb where they have placed Lazarus. 
when, they're get, when he gets there, we're, we're told that, that Jesus starts to cry. He starts to, to weep because he is so upset. He, he too is sad at the very thought of losing this, this dear friend. And then he asks all of the mourners there to, to remove the stone that's laying in front of the tomb. And the, the mourners protest at first. He's been dead for four days, they say. His, his body probably stinks, they say. Just, just leave him be, they say. But, but Jesus commands them to roll away the stone. And then, and then he calls Lazarus out. You all remember this story. He calls Lazarus out and and out he walks, still, still wrapped, still cocooned in his burial clothes. What an image, what a, what a story. Jesus, this Jesus, even has power over death. So it's, it's at Lazarus' dinner table that Jesus sits down to eat in this story today. And Lazarus, Lazarus is there with him. Jesus is dining, Martha, we're told, is serving, and, and Mary is out often in another room doing something. When she, she comes back, we're told that she, she stoops down in front of Jesus, she breaks open this jar of very expensive perfume, and she begins to rub it all over Jesus' feet. And when she finishes massaging the perfume into his feet, she, she lets down her hair and begins to wipe Jesus' feet dry. It's, it's a peculiar act. It's a somewhat sensual display of affection. It's extravagant and expensive, and it's even a bit wasteful. 300 denarii, that's, that's how much this perfume costs. That's a, a sum that's equal to a year's wages during those days. And now it's, it's been poured over the feet of a man who, is a, who has been preaching a message of, of giving to the poor, feeding the hungry, serving those who are in need. Would it not have been better to sell that perfume and give all of that money to the poor, Judas says under his breath. And let's be honest, Judas isn't the only one thinking this. They're all thinking this. We are all thinking this. Why would she do such a thing? Now, commentators have noted that there are several reasons why one was anointed in antiquity. Kings and priests were anointed with oil as a sign of their, their consecration, the sick were anointed in ritual healings, and the dead were anointed before they were buried. Mary could have been anointing Jesus for any or for all of these reasons, one could argue, and those are all very good arguments to make. But I wonder if Mary anoints Jesus' feet with this, this costly oil, this costly perfume, for the same reason that my friend Ron washed the feet of the homeless. She knew that in so doing, she would be able to express her love, her affection, her devotion to the Lord. Cost be damned, whatever the price, she wanted those present to know that she trusted, that she believed, that she adored this one who brought her brother back to life. Mary's act was, in my mind, a, a gesture of trust, a gesture of, of faith, a, a gesture of deep love for Jesus. There's a story that we'll hear in a, in a couple of weeks, in less than two weeks, on the Thursday of Holy Week, Maundy Thursday, and it, it comes in the very next chapter of John's Gospel account, John chapter 13. Jesus is again dining with his close friends. There's a lot of eating that happens in the New Testament. They're there during this meal having this, this feast, and as they are eating, Jesus gets up from the table. He takes off his outer robe, and he bends down and starts to to wash each of the disciples' feet. And then he tells them that they are to love others as they have been loved by God. 
It's an almost identical act to what Mary did to his feet a week before. And it it tells me that Jesus, in the same way that Mary did to him, Jesus is reminding his disciples that that he has faith in them, that, that he trusts them, that he loves them, that he adores each one of them and each one of us. If there's anything that Lent should remind us, it's this, that God loves us. This time next week when we gather for church, we will hear again the story of Jesus entering triumphantly into Jerusalem. We will wave palm branches. We will hear the story of the people shouting for joy. And then at the end of the service, the mood will shift very quickly. We will hear different shouts, shouts of anger and violence, shouts calling for Jesus to be killed. And we know that Jesus endures all of this, the cross, the shame, the agony, the death, because of Jesus' great love for each one of us and for all of creation. So how can we, each in our own situation, each in our own way, how can we be like Mary in this story for today? Her life has been deeply touched by Jesus, so much so that she wants to do something precious. She wants to give something extravagant to Jesus. And I wonder, can that can that be possible for us? Can our lives be so deeply touched by the living Christ that we want to respond in some special and extravagant and over-the-top way? I think we can. Amen. Thank you.